Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry. I recently learned of this case from a 2020 episode. I didn't get the chance to watch it, but I did listen to the audio and I learned this case is completely nuts. A loving husband and father was dubbed a hero for defending his wife who was being brutally attacked in their home. But was that what really happened? We'll dive into this and get all of the details out there. My sources are listed in the description area. This is the case of Mark and Donna Winger. Let's go back to 1995 for this one. The average cost of a new house was $113,000. Gas was, brace yourself, $1.09 a gallon. Steve Fawcett became the first person to make a solo flight across the Pacific Ocean in a hot air balloon. This was a big year in the news. The New York Times and Washington Post published the Unabomber's 35,000-word manifesto. O.J. Simpson was found innocent in the murder of his wife, Nicole, and her male friend, Ron Goldman. There was the Oklahoma City bombing. Microsoft launched Windows 95. Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio was the top song. And the best picture of the year was Forrest Gump. Mark and Donna Winger are a couple in their early 30s. They had gotten married a few years before in 1989. They live in Springfield, Illinois. The year is 1995 and all is well with this couple. Mark works as a nuclear power plant technician. Donna is a operating room technician. Donna has a best friend named Deanne and the couple have a lot of friends together. Now, Mark and Donna want to have children, but Donna can have kids, and I'm not sure the reason, but they are unable to conceive. Donna wanted to be a mom so bad and was devastated to learn that she couldn't have children. At the hospital where Donna worked, a doctor tells her there is a teenage mom who had just had a baby and is looking to place the baby up for adoption. Donna held the baby and told her sister that she knew at this moment she was meant to be her mom. The little girl's name was Bailey. Mark and Donna welcomed baby Bailey into their home and adopted her. And on June 1st, 1995, Bailey is an official member of the Winger household. Her best friend Deanne comes by often to hang out and help her out with little Bailey. Mark, Donna, and Bailey seem to have the perfect life. Mark was doing great, making a ton of money as a nuclear technician. Donna is doing well at her job. They are well-respected community members. They have this new baby. This was the life that they always wanted. On August 29th, 1995, Bailey was just a few months old. Mark is working out on the treadmill in the couple's basement when he hears a weird noise coming from the upstairs. He knows something is very wrong. He runs upstairs to the master bedroom and sees Bailey laying on the bed all alone, and a sick feeling takes over him. Donna wouldn't leave the baby all alone on a bed like that. He grabs his gun and makes his way down the hallway and towards the dining room where these strange noises are coming from. He stumbles upon his wife being attacked by an intruder. There is a man who is beating Donna in the head with a hammer. She is barely clinging to life. Mark shoots the man twice and he falls over. Mark calls 911. As a quick side note, I made this podcast already once, and I inserted the 911 call into the audio. I finished recording it, I edited it, I polished it all up, I published it, and then I got a copyright claim for having the audio from the phone call. 
Apparently, it belongs to CBS News. <laughs> Sorry for bitching for a moment, but I wanted you guys to know that I did try. I had this whole thing recorded. I had the 911 call edited into the podcast, and then I get this copyright claim, so I had to pretty, pretty much just take the whole thing and put it in the trash. I will link the audio in the description area so you guys can listen to Mark's 911 call. But I'll go over with what Mark says. He is in absolute panic, screaming to the operator that he just shot a man who was killing his wife. It's brutal to listen to. We can hear Mark tell the operator her brains are all over the floor. He thinks she may still be alive. He says the man is laying on the floor with a bullet in his head and he's making weird sounds. You also hear him say, my baby is crying. I got to get to my baby. I'll call you right back. He hangs up and then he calls back again. The police and ambulances come and both the intruder and Donna still have a pulse, but barely. They are taken to the hospital where they both died within minutes. Donna had been hit in the head seven times with a hammer. Roger had been shot twice. This house is a major crime scene and neighbors are lined up down the street wondering what exactly happened inside this house. There's news cameras outside and everyone is devastated to learn Donna was attacked and killed. Mark is deemed a hero for trying to save her by shooting the man, even though it was too late. The police begin questioning Mark, who is hysterical, about exactly what happened, what exactly he saw, and so on. There are crime scene technicians all over this house taking Polaroid photos and collecting evidence. Even though this case was pretty much closed as soon as they got there, a man did exactly what most of us would do if we saw our spouse getting attacked with a hammer. Mark is still very shaken up. He just shot a man. He's rocking back and forth and having major anxiety. Not that I blame him. He tells the police he came upstairs and this stranger was beating Donna in the head with a hammer. He said the hammer belonged to him. Donna had left it out so it could be a reminder for him to hang this hat rack she wanted hung up. They have the man's wallet and his ID. Mark asks, who is this man? What is his name? And then he asks, is his name Roger? A detective tells him that his name is Roger Harrington, and he is 27 years old. Roger's car was parked out front of the house as well. Mark says, oh my God, this is the man that has been harassing my wife all week. We're going to rewind to one week before this killing. Donna had taken a plane with the baby and went to Florida to visit her mother and stepdad. This was a wonderful trip, and these new grandparents were so excited to meet the little one. They were happy Donna was finally a mom, since that all, that's all she's ever talked about, was being a mom one day. Even though the little girl was adopted, none of that mattered to anyone in this family. This was her and Mark's daughter. When it's time to go home, Donna and the baby take a plane back to St. Louis, Missouri, which is the closest airport to their home in Springfield, Illinois. Since the airport is two hours from Mark and Donna's house, her parents had arranged for a driver to take her and the baby from the airport back to her house once she's landed. Her parents didn't want her to have to worry about finding a cab when she's got the baby and all this luggage and so on. This was a really nice thing for her parents to do. Mark says when Donna came home, she told him the driver, a man named Roger, was acting bizarre towards her. He said he was into older women and enjoyed going to sex parties. She could start coming to them if she wanted. He, he also said that he had voices in his head that tell him to hurt people. He wanted to kill and mutilate people. 
Mark says Donna told him that sometimes when he drives, this godlike character would come to him and pull him out of his body and he would be flying above the trees. He was speeding really fast and Donna just wants to get her and the baby home and she is just praying that this ride will be over soon. Once home, she tells Mark that she is shaken up from how bad this guy freaked her out. Mark calls Roger's boss and yells that this guy is just, you know, disturbed his wife and was driving like a maniac with his wife and baby in the car. He learned Roger had been employed there for six months. Roger is suspended by his employer due to his behavior towards Donna. It appears from all accounts that Roger remembered Donna's address and harassed her throughout the week through anonymous phone calls. He walks into their, their house that day and he attacks her and then Mark shoots him. A big funeral for Donna takes place. Mark is this grieving husband who has this new baby to take care of on his own. People, including Donna's parents and her best friend, Deanne, come to help him. They kind of all take turns. He's lost and in a daze throughout this time, which is expected, but he seems to be doing okay. Mark is not considered a suspect at all. He is considered a victim. There was one officer who felt something wasn't right about the whole thing, though. He had found a piece of paper in Roger's car that was parked out front that read Mark Winger, along with the address and a time that read 4.30 p.m. He couldn't quite put his finger on it, but something was strange about that. His boss and co-workers quickly shot him down. There is no reason why a nuclear technician would just shoot someone in his house. This case is closed before it's even open. Mark is a victim. He even wrote a letter and had it published in the newspaper thanking the community for all that they have done for him. Just a few months after Donna's murder, Mark decides he needs someone to live in the house to take care of the baby. When he's at work, she's in daycare, but in the evenings and mornings and all weekends, he needs the help. I don't find anything wrong with this. He's a single dad and he can afford to hire a nanny, so be it. The nanny he hired was a beautiful, much younger woman named Rebecca. Now, Rebecca moves in, and Donna's parents had come to meet her. They feel a little resentful because she's not their daughter, and I can imagine they had a wide range of emotions they felt seeing her with the baby. But they said Rebecca was so kind and caring and fell in love with little Bailey. She was like an angel to this family. Rebecca told 2020 she saw little Bailey as having already lost two mothers in the less than six months that she's been alive. She was given up by her birth mother and then her second mom was murdered, Rebecca was going to make sure she was taken care of well. She also saw Mark as this hero who tried to protect his wife by shooting a man. Rebecca, as a nanny, did a fantastic job with her. There was one person who wasn't crazy about Rebecca, though, and that's Donna's best friend, Deanne. I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it was because Rebecca is 23 and beautiful and she's not Donna. I don't know. Donna's family also told 2020 that they thought it was odd that after Donna passed, Mark was acting bizarre. I know everyone grieves differently, but they thought it was odd. He was watching movies like Pulp Fiction, where there's a lot of shooting deaths going on. Again, everyone grieves differently. But the police were getting a little interested in why he was showing up to the police station and asking about the case. He first showed up to request his gun back. It was stored in the evidence locker, and they gave it back to him. He would say, has anything else happened? Do you have any new info? Basically just inserting himself everywhere, 
The police wonder why he's doing this. Donna's killer was dead. The case was closed. Why keep showing up and asking for more info? Mark sued the transportation company that Roger worked for. He wanted millions of dollars for not vetting their drivers better. He collected $25,000 from the Victims' Compensation Fund and $150,000 in life insurance that he filed a claim for less than 24 hours after her death. I don't really know the correct time you're supposed to wait to file a claim. I don't really find that part sketchy because it seems like money wasn't a big issue for this family. If Mark did something to Donna, it likely wasn't about money or else he would have had a higher life insurance policy on her. $150,000 life insurance policy isn't usually something that people kill over, even back in 1995. It didn't take long after Rebecca moved in and started working as a nanny that she became pregnant by Mark. The family is again feeling a range of emotions. There's this new woman living in their daughter's house, basically living their daughter's life. She was able to get pregnant almost instantly, and their daughter couldn't have kids. But I do need to emphasize that they liked Rebecca. She was bubbly and bright, and she did so well with little Bailey. There wasn't much not to like about the girl. But Deanne, Donna's best friend, still did not accept her. One year after Donna's death, Mark marries Rebecca. They eloped in Hawaii and then moved out of the house and settle in a new house. They had two more children together. So they had a total of three children in like three or four years. Plus, they still had Bailey. Rebecca told ABC News, quote, When you live with someone and you're taking care of a child together, it's very easy to kind of play house. You're already put in those roles. Mark made me feel like I was an angel sent to him from God or Donna and that it was my purpose to make this family whole again, end quote. Mark cut ties with Donna's family, which was hard on them since that means they can't have any contact with Bailey. They didn't understand because they loved Mark. He had been married to their daughter. Donna's sisters were really hurt by this too. Mark sent a letter to Donna's parents and told them Bailey could not refer to them as grandma and grandpa any longer. They still continued to send birthday cards each year to Bailey, though. Mark denounced his Jewish faith and converted to Christianity, so he's basically changed every aspect of his life since his wife's murder. In 1999, this is four years after Donna's murder, a woman comes forward to police. She said she needed to make a confession. She tells police she was having an affair with Mark before Donna was murdered, her name is Deanne. That's right, you guys, Donna's best friend. Now you guys see why she was not feeling as new wife Rebecca like everyone else was. It wasn't because this was her best friend's husband, but because she was in love with Mark herself. I was shook when I heard that. I never saw it coming. What's more is that he had made statements to her that included, it would be easier if Donna just died. He also discussed murdering Donna and told Deanne, all you have to do is walk in and find the body. Deanne did not agree to, to participate. He had told her about the strange man that Donna had encountered earlier that week and said, I got to get him to our house somehow. She said she doesn't know what happened that day because he didn't tell her what he was going to do. All she knows is that he talked about murdering Donna. Next thing she knows, Donna is dead. They even continued their relationship until one year after Donna's death, even when Mark was fully involved with Nanny Rebecca, who he married. 
In the years after Donna's death, Deanne began seeing a psychologist. She told her psychologist about the guilt she was feeling. In 1998, Deanne called Mark to see if he would confess to her that he killed Donna and Roger. She asked, how can you live with what you've done? He said he had converted to Christianity and Jesus had forgiven his sins. She told him that she told her psychologist about their affair, and now Mark is worried the psychologist is going to come forward and he will be arrested. Her psychologist was the one who urged her to go to police and confess their affair and that Mark had made statements that he wanted Donna dead, even though she didn't believe he would really actually do it. Deanne also revealed in the past few years she had attempted suicide multiple times. Now, police can't just walk in and arrest Mark. They have to have more solid evidence that he was the one who actually did this. After all, this is just what one person said. What if she was just a scorned ex-girlfriend who wanted to frame Mark? The case is reopened and a full examination of all the evidence is going to take place. This is going to take about two years to complete. They have to make sure this investigation goes exactly right. They already dropped the ball once. They can't afford to mess this one up too. They admit they did not do their proper job initially. A few things came to light that weren't there before. Remember the one police officer who had an uneasy feeling about Roger's car parked out front? He found a piece of paper that read Mark Winger, his address, and 4.30 p.m. His boss quickly dismissed these findings and told him it wasn't important. Well, that piece of paper was significant. It showed Roger had an appointment to go to the house. It's believed Mark contacted Roger and asked him to come over so they could discuss the car ride he had with Donna and maybe Roger could apologize for being weird to her and he would get his job back. Mark had been in contact with Roger's boss pretending like he's this concerned husband and got his full name and number. Roger's boss had told Roger, there's this guy who wants to talk to you so you can smooth things over. Roger told him, sure, no problem, just give him my number. It's believed that Roger was the perfect fall guy. He was going to use Roger as a way to murder his wife. Roger was not an intruder. He was invited into their home. In fact, on the table where Mark left his gun after shooting Roger, a yellow coffee cup was found, along with a pack of cigarettes. These were Roger's items. If you're going to go into someone's house to murder them, you're not going to bring your coffee and cigarettes. They learned that Roger's roommate, a woman named Susan, had seen Roger talking on the phone and writing down the address, which was found in his car. They did find a tire iron and a knife inside Roger's car. Not that either of those things are illegal or that he had any intention of using them. But if you're going to murder someone, you would likely bring one of these items inside the house instead of your coffee and cigarettes and using the family's hammer that was just laying out. Roger had been a patient at a mental health facility at one point, which helped back up the story that he attacked Donna, but he wasn't known to have any violent tendencies. In fact, his mother said he was gentle. Roger's sister said Roger would have never done anything like that. He was not that kind of person. Yes, he was mentally unstable, but he was not malicious. There were no signs of forced entry into the house. Police found that the positions of Donna and Roger's bodies were inconsistent with the way that Mark had said they were. For example, he said Roger was kneeling over Donna, hitting her in the head with a hammer, and had fallen backwards once shot. But he was found laying in the same position as Donna. 
They discovered this through Polaroid photos. They didn't put this together at the time because pictures of the body were taken so fast because remember, they both had a pulse. They had to be quickly moved and put in ambulances. Crime scene techs had literally seconds with the bodies before they were moved. Do you guys remember when Mark told the 911 operator he's laying there with a bullet in his head? Roger was shot twice, not once. Remember, he said, my baby's crying. I got to get to my baby. I'll call you back. Well, if you listen closely, you can hear Roger moaning at that moment. I had to listen to it a few times to hear it. And when I did, I almost dropped my phone. It was very haunting. Again, I'll post the link in the description area so you guys can listen to it if you want. What police believe happened was Donna was in the bedroom with the baby. Roger comes inside the house as an appointment. Mark shoots Roger. Donna comes out when she hears the noise, which explains why the baby was left in the bed all alone. When she walks out, Mark begins striking her in the head with the hammer. He calls 911. While on the phone, remember, he said the man was making weird sounds. Then he says, my baby's crying. I got to get to my baby. I'll call you right back. At this point, it wasn't his baby crying but rather Roger moaning out and Mark is afraid that he is going to survive. So he goes over and he fired a second shot into his head. A neighbor testified that he heard two shots that day and they were not one right after the other, but they were five minutes apart. Mark also struck Roger in the chest with a hammer a few times. Mark says this was out of anger, but we know Mark wanted to make sure Roger wasn't going to come back to life. On August 23rd, 2001, this is almost six years since Donna was murdered. An arrest warrant is issued for Mark. They show up at his work and he is placed under arrest. Rebecca, his wife, had the kids at McDonald's and they were playing in the playhouse. She got a call from Mark's secretary that Mark had been arrested for two counts of murder. Rebecca says she went numb and couldn't believe this wonderful man she was married to and had multiple children with could do something so terrible. Even Donna's family couldn't believe it. They had no idea Mark was involved and always believed he was just another victim that day. He could be released if someone agreed to pay the $1 million cash bail that was needed. So Mark hits up his childhood friend who is a real estate developer named Jeff Gelman. Jeff says he's not going to bail him out. Mark will remain in prison until it was time for his trial in 2002. The prosecution laid out their whole case. Mark killed Donna because he didn't want to be with her any longer. They portrayed him as this man who was bored with his marriage and extremely cocky. He wanted to date other women and be free, but he didn't want to lose custody of their newborn Bailey. He lured Roger to the home and staged the house to look like Roger had attacked Donna, so he shoots Roger. The defense argued that Roger and Donna were both in critical condition when the paramedics got there. They weren't dead yet, so the paramedics moved the bodies to begin working on them, and that's why the photograph showed them laying in the same position. The paramedics have denied moving the bodies prior to the photos being taken. Deanne took the stand and stated everything that she told police, everything from their long-term affair to the statements Mark had made about wishing Donna was dead. The defense said that she is just a woman who is scorned and was upset that Mark had moved on with this beautiful young bride soon after Donna's death. For Deanne's cooperation and essentially blowing the whistle about Mark, she was granted complete immunity. 
The jury found Mark guilty of two counts of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Donna's mother said Donna called her mom when she got home from the airport just to let her know that she had arrived safely. The driver, she said, wasn't the main point of the conversation. She said Roger, the driver, was a little strange, but didn't have her scared or worried in any way. He just said a few strange things, but she didn't really seem upset or visibly shaken the way Mark said she was. My heart really breaks for Roger and his family, especially since the whole world believes he was a monster. In reality, he was just a mentally ill person who was just unwell and said some off-the-wall comments. He didn't deserve to die. Mark saw Roger as a perfect opportunity to have his wife end up dead. Roger went into their home invited under the premise that he was going to smooth things over. I am so sorry to Roger's mother who had to have her son's name smeared all over the news as this cold-blooded murderer and no one believed her that he wouldn't do something like that. Now she can sleep knowing that his name has been cleared. One of the police officers said, quote, I was ashamed of the way the investigation went. I hurt Roger Harrington's family. I ran his name through hell for no reason. He was an innocent victim. Let's talk about where all these folks are today. Mark has been in prison since 2001 with no chance of ever getting out. In fact, Mark received more time in prison for additional crimes from inside the prison. In 2005, Mark had been in prison for about four years. An inmate there said Mark tried to hire him to solicit murder. Mark wanted a hit on two people outside of the prison. One of the victims was going to be Deanne, his former lover and Donna's best friend. He wanted Deanne kidnapped and forced to write a letter to police saying that she made the whole thing up and Mark is innocent. Then she was to be killed. The other person he wanted dead was that rich childhood friend, Jeff Gelman, who wouldn't put up a million dollars to bail him out of jail. Mark received an extra 35 years for the murder for hire plot. Today, Mark is an inmate at Menard Correctional Facility in Illinois. According to an article I read on Forensic Files Now, he is costing taxpayers $21,000 per year to keep him incarcerated. Mark complains that his small cell is too difficult to exercise in and causing him emotional distress, depression, and panic attacks. He also says that running in place and doing jumping jacks in his cell caused his knees to hit the wall, sit-ups make his bed too sweaty, and the floor was too dirty for push-ups. Donna's parents raised money to build Donna's playroom at a children's hospital in Florida. They are also domestic violence advocates and speak at organizations. Rebecca, the nanny who married Mark and had three children by him, moved to Kentucky. She adopted Bailey after Mark went to prison, so she is raising four children. She believed he was innocent up until he was found guilty. She requested a divorce, and he sent her threatening, hostile letters. Rebecca was quoted as saying, No one seems to think about the family when someone is incarcerated. I call them living victims. It's a humiliating, embarrassing role to play. Although you have done nothing wrong, that spouse is alive but dead to the family. She said she felt the community made her feel guilty by association, even though she didn't even know Mark at the time of Donna's death. She worried about her children being stigmatized. She raised the four children, and Bailey does now have a relationship with Donna's parents that Mark didn't allow her to have. Little Bailey is now 27 years old. 
She had her last name changed to Simic, which is her stepmom Rebecca's name. She graduated from Kentucky University. She lives in Alabama, and she is the manager of Panera Bread. Mark's other children have done exceptionally well as well. Anna teaches middle school and is also a personal trainer. Ben is six foot four and plays basketball and attends school in Indiana. Maggie got a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree, and she is, like, super artistic. She even made a beautiful shrine dedicated to her father's victims, Donna and Roger. These kids were all under the age of seven when their dad went to prison, and I'm so glad they had a wonderful mom like Rebecca to raise them properly. Rebecca admits once Mark went to jail, things got hard for her and her kids financially, including getting on welfare and having to move the family in with relatives. But she persevered, and they all seem to be doing great today. There is a 2020 episode on ABC that details this case, as well as 48 Hours and Forensic Files. Mark truly almost got away with murder. He walked the earth for six years after the murders. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and rest in peace to both Donna and Roger, who would be 59 and 55 years old today in 2022. My sources are listed in the description area. Take care, and much love to you all.